Our gracious Heavenly Father, you know what you're working with here. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will give me the words to speak that are from on high, not my own words, that you will help me to reach the hearts of these people here, that you will help me to give to them the picture of your incredible gift on Calvary. And Lord, I pray that as we spend this week together that you will bless us in such a way that we will know for sure that we've spent time in your presence. Bless us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us. Give us all that we need to reflect you in a perfect way is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. We are recognizing, and if you have uh, here, you there's lots of space on this side, and if you want to, okay. Um, we recognize in our churches that there are so, so many needs for the Holy Spirit in our, in our congregations. Uh, I suppose in Michigan that maybe the odds are a little bit better. But in so many places in the United States, we have churches that are almost closing because there are not enough members to keep the lights on. God is wanting to do something special for us. But oftentimes, as, Mo as Abraham did and Moses did, we try to take things into our own hands. And when we try to take things into our own hands, we get into trouble, don't we? Abraham got into trouble because he couldn't believe that God could give him a son from his wife. And so he took a concubine. And what trouble we've had from this ever since. Is that true? Moses decided that he was going to take things into his own hands and he was going to uh, raise himself up in the Jewish community there in uh, Egypt by taking the life of a Jew. I'm, I'm sorry, a, a taskmaster. And as he did that, and then he realized that it was not something that was going to be hid. He ran for his life and spent 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know about you. First of all, I don't have 40 more years, probably. At least not on this earth. But I don't want to have to take time out to learn things that I could have learned had I made opportunity, an opportunity to read, study, and listen to God's voice. So what we've done is in our churches, we've, we've uh, changed the music so that we can be relevant. We've changed the style of worship so that we can be relevant. We've changed so many things so that we can be relevant. And I'm not saying that some of those changes aren't necessary. Some may be, but most are not. Most of them are our our desire to do something 
incredibly odd, different, so that people will flock to us. But I'm here to tell you that the message that reaches the heart is the same for every nationality on planet Earth. If we want to reach the heart, we must, we must give the message that God gives us to give. And if we do that faithfully, God promises that he will bless us. So we've got this terrible need on our churches. And, um, but most of all, I have to say that where we really need the Holy Spirit is in our own lives. I am the one that needs it most. You are the ones that need it most. And I hope and pray that as we go through this, you will see little ways that perhaps you can change the way that you relate to this subject. First of all, John 16.8. Is there somebody that would like, like to read that? John 16.8, in a nice loud voice. The work of the Holy Spirit comes to us with three very important challenges. What is it? Okay. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bring what? What will he do first? Conviction of sin. Uh, understanding of righteousness and of judgment. So there's three things that the Lord does, uh, that the Holy Spirit does when he comes into our lives. So let's, let's look first at convict of sin. God wants us to understand what sin is. He's not trying to chase us away. He's not trying to whip us or get us all uh, discouraged, but he wants us to know that there are certain things that aren't acceptable in God's kingdom. And so he convicts us of sin. But is that the only thing he convicts us of? Of what? Righteousness. So there's the wrong thing, but I'm telling you there's many, many, many right things to do as well. You know, the Ten Commandments is only ten commandments. Can you think how much higher you can get than the Ten Commandments? Right? You see, the Ten Commandments is the very basic of what God is asking. Like, uh, you know, you, you can, uh, there, there's an absolute cold Absolute cold, and I, don't, I can't remember what the degrees are, but minus so many degrees, 300 and something, or I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's way down there, okay? But is there a way to, to um, get higher than the highest heat? 
we can go and go and go, and we still don't know what the highest heat is. So what God is giving us is he's giving us a very basic foundation. He's saying, look, it's just ten things I want you to remember. Because these are the best way to remember what I am like. And as I help you to know who I am, then you can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And so that's what God wants for us. So conviction of sin, but the righteousness, we can, we can go far and far and far beyond anything that we've ever thought or dreamt. Because God is forever. He is ultimate. So he can teach us more and more and more. And so, righteousness. But then what's of judgment? Why, why is he giving us judgment? Because we sinned? He wants us to be better? So that we can be safe to have in heaven? We don't know the difference, do we? And so God is giving us judgment. He's giving us judgment to be able to find what is the difference between right and wrong and to make sure that we always make the right choices. And so it's very, very important for us to, to uh, recognize that these are the things, the first three things that the, Lord, uh, that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives through what? Through prayer. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives through Jesus Christ, okay, then he does three things for us again. You know, the Holy Spirit is not wanting us to do, just put on a facade. You know what that is, right? He doesn't want us to put on a facade. This thing is a little bit nerve-wracking to me, so I'm going to stand up a little bit. So he doesn't want us to put on a facade, but what he wants is for us to be real from within. From within. He wants to make us perfect from within. And so the first thing that he does is he helps us to be. To be what? Be a Christian. What does the word be mean? It's a state of being, right? So I, he wants us to be, help us to be a Christian from the inside out. So he says to us, look, there's, there's ways that I want you to do this. First, to be. Luke 6.36, what does this say? Be ye therefore, what? Merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So what does he want us to be? Merciful. Why is it important for us to be merciful? Because he is. Oftentimes we are quick to judge. But God wants us to be merciful. Merciful. From the heart in. Out. Okay? Romans 12.2 And what does this say? And be not what? Conformed to this world but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what is he wanting us to do? Be, be transformed. 
Don't be conformed to the things around you, but be transformed, transformed by his spirit. What else does he want? And this is, this is just a few things, okay? I'm just giving you a few things. 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye what? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to be steadfast, unmovable. Unmovable in what? My ideas? In God's ways. We need to make sure that it's God's ways, right? He wants us to be, be unmovable in God's ways, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, I think we've got another one. Ephesians 4:32. And be ye what? Ah, kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So I think that that's one of the things that's so important for us, is that oftentimes, would you like to come in? Right now it's on Holy Spirit. It's going to be quite a few different things. It's preparation, personal preparation. Okay? Um, so it's important for us to, to uh, be tender-hearted because oftentimes it's hard for us to what? What's the next word? Forgive. Forgive. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So it's important for us to recognize that God is wanting us to be Christians from the inside out. And as we are Christians from the inside out, then it is going to be easier for us to do something. What did I do with it? To behave what? Like a Christian. Ah. In my heart, in my heart, absolutely. So he wants us to be a Christian so that, he, so that when we behave like a Christian, it's the real thing. Yes? It's very easy to do the right things. Just especially if you're in a group of people that are doing the right things, right? If, if I'm in a crowd that I run with a crowd that is doing the right thing, then it's easy for me to do the right thing. And so oftentimes we have not really taken the time to look deeper inside as to whether or not this is the way I would be if I was alone, or if nobody was watching, or if nobody thought that I was a Christian. God is wanting us to be real from the inside out so that we can behave like a real Christian. And what does that mean? Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, what is that? What do, what do we often call that? The golden rule. And the golden rule is, is given to us because God is wanting us to say, look, is that the way I want to be treated? 
Is that the way I want to act? Is it the way I want other people to act towards me? You know, um, when I was very, very little, very little, I have a confession to make. I was very little, and I had a cousin that was older than me. And another cousin that was older than her, and my brother was older than the rest of us. And this little cousin would get a hold of you and pinch. And she would pinch and she would twist. If she didn't get the Lego she wanted or the building block she wanted or the uh, whatever it was, she would get a hold of you and she would take a little piece of your skin and she would pinch it and she would twist with a smile on her face. Ah, I watched this. I watched it, and I watched it, and I watched it. She did it to my brother. She did it to her sister. She did it to me. And I watched this over and over and over again. One day, one, one hour, after many hours of this, she did it to me again. And I just reached over and took a little piece of her skin, pinched it, and twisted and smiled back. She started crying, and she ran to her mother. She ran to her mother, and she, and, and she tells her mom, Mom, Carol pinched me. Carol pinched me. And so, of course, my mother was out with my aunt. And um, what, what do I hear next? Carol. Carol. Ah. Okay, so I went out to my mother, and my mother asked me, did you pinch Nancy? Carol, did you pinch Nancy? Mom says again, Carol, look at me. You know what that means. Yeah. Look at me. Did you pinch Nancy? By that time, I was ready with my answer. Well, do unto others as I do unto you. Hmm, did I have that right? Is that the way it reads? I missed the meaning of that, didn't I? But it certainly worked in my case. <laughs> Oh, well, yes. No, five, no, we're talking two. <laughs> uh, no, five, by that time I had learned not to say those things. <laughs> but two years old, maybe even a little bit younger. But uh, she was, like, like I said, but I knew the principle, but I couldn't get it quite right, right? So I kind of twisted it a little bit for my own use. But that's the way most of us use that, isn't it? He did it to me. I can do the same thing. But not if I'm a Christian, right? So it says there, if I am truly a Christian from within, I'm going to behave like a Christian. And the first thing I put up there was what? That therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. So we need to be able to create a 
a vacuum where we are doing such wonderful things to people around that they want to do what's right back. And if they don't, that's okay. That's between them and God, right? That's between them and God. And so it's very, very important for us to learn to do the right thing, behave in the right way, Luke 6.35. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend hoping for nothing. Again, ah, yes. What does that say? Love ye your enemies, and do good, lend, and lend hoping for nothing again. What does that mean? Hmm. Give, not expecting anything back. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, sweetie. Yes, indeed. So. It says, for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So what does it mean? It means we're like who? Like Jesus. Okay? Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Okay? Luke 10, 27. And he, and he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as, thy, as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So what is Christ saying to the young man that was asking him that question? First of all, we need to love the Lord thy God with what? All our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So he's telling us that, that if we love him with everything that we have, our total beings, that we will be able to what? We should live. We will live. Isn't that what it says? That's a promise. Okay? Behave. But you know what? The, uh, also the Good Samaritan story, which I think all of you know. But uh, more than this, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes we often will say, well, I, I just live my Christianity. I live it so that other people can see it. And perhaps they'll ask questions or they'll They'll, uh, you know, venture, uh, why are you like this? But that's not where the Holy Spirit ends. He wants us to be. He wants us to behave. But he also wants us to, what? Go like a Christian. You see, if we're, if we're doing all of this, if, we're be, if we are truly from inside out living a life of Christianity and we're behaving like a Christian, 
Let me ask you, what was the first thought that Jesus had when he came to this earth? He came here to what? To seek and to save who? The lost. If the Holy Spirit is living in my life, if the Holy Spirit is making me like Christ, if the Holy Spirit is making me want to do the things of Christ, if the Holy Spirit is making me want to uh, reflect Christ, then why would I not want the Holy Spirit to make me have the same burdens that Christ has? When Christ comes into my life, does he uh, somehow come in and stay there and then hopefully uh, I will change him a little bit at a time to be more like me? Or is it the other way around? He changes us to be, what? More like him. So it is imperative as a Christian that I not only am a Christian, not only behave like a Christian, but that I go as Christ went. He left heaven to come down and to seek and save that which was lost. So, hmm, that means that I must also accept that part of the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? I need to accept that part of the Holy Spirit. Um, many times you've heard people say that the Holy Spirit doesn't need me to to make calls or to make uh, invitations or things to that. But I want to ask you something. Have you, have you read these missionary stories where the, the missionaries went out to these places and they had wonderful people, uh, uh, well, even angels. Let, let's, let's start with the angels. Angels go to these places, okay? And they teach the people there what it is that, that they need to do. And then they tell them, you know, there will be somebody that will come here that will have a red book and a black book. What are, what are the red books? And a black book is a Bible. They will have both. If they don't have both, then they're not sent by us. They have to have both. So when somebody comes, you look and find out what they have. Do they have both the red book and the black book? Or do they have just one book? And missionary came, they just had the black book. We, we're very nice to you, we love you, we, we think you're great, but this is not the person we're looking for. And isn't it interesting that Somebody with a black book comes first, right? Can we just say, well, we've got half the truth? And I'm not saying that Ellen White is necessary, but in this case, that was what the angel told the people. He told them, a black book and the red book. Later on, a missionary came with both the Bible, and the spirit of prophecy. They looked, what did he have? 
He has a blessing. This is the one that the angel said would come. And so they opened their hearts to them, and he listened, and he and they they followed the Lord in baptism. And why did the angel say didn't baptize them himself? Don't you think that would be marvelous? No. He's wanting us to be part of this whole deal, right? And so it's important for us to realize that we need to be, we need to behave, and we need to go like a Christian. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of, oh, i get, got to give you this too. Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am what? With you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And amen. Thank you. Matthew 20, verse 7. They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us, he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So what is he saying? Go, go, get the harvest at any point, and we'll pay. Well, your, your, your reward will be equal to what you've done. <coughs> Isn't that amazing? Matthew 25, 6, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out and meet him. Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To what? Every to every creature. John 20, 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so, even so, send I you. Right? God is making an invitation to us. He's making an invitation to us. He wants us to go for him. It's kind of like this. When you buy a car, you definitely want what? The basic equipment, right? You want it to. You want a steering wheel, a transmission, an engine, of course, and transmission. And you want uh, you want it to go like a, a car. You know, if you buy a, a wonderful little vehicle and you go and turn the key and it doesn't run, it doesn't go anyplace. How important is that car to you? Not very important, is it? So it's very important that when we buy a basic equipment car, that we, we are having, we, uh, we want it to be, a, be a, a car, we want it to behave like a car, that we can, we can turn it and we can move it and we can, you know, go with it, and it needs to go. It needs to go on the road and take us where we need to go. So we have those basic equipment that's necessary, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it has to be a basic equipment. But you know, there are a lot of people who are not satisfied what the Holy Spirit is willing to do for them from the inside out. They're wanting big experience with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that we should not cry for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this, that unless we have the basic equipment, 
that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to get the optional equipment. For example, if I come into an auto place and I say, you know, I, I want to upgrade my car. And uh, yes, I want, the, I want the biggest engine, I want the biggest transmission, I want the, um, I want the neatest hubcaps, I want, you know, and I'm, I'm telling all this to the salesperson and thinking, hmm, complaint, 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 complaint. And then he says, okay, what car is this going on? <laughs> Sorry? What did he say? A pinto. A pinto, yes, okay. <laughs> a pinto. Um, that's fine, but if I don't have a car that it's going on, I don't have a basic vehicle, then how good is the optional equipment? Does it mean anything? Ah, now are you getting a picture? Okay, so let's look. For some, this is not enough. They want something bigger, more fancy, more, more showy. Many look for the what? Exceptional gifts, like what? Healing, tongues. Perhaps prophecy, but most of people aren't uh, healing, definitely healing. Uh, miracles, uh, all these kind of big things that make people look at us as being right with God. We have all this thing going on for us. So if I have a church and I want people to come, what do I need to do? I need to have great, great uh, answers to prayers, miracles, miracles, miracles. And I'm not saying my God doesn't give miracles. He gives it to us every single day. He gives us miracles, but oftentimes it's not that great big thing that brings a lot of attention. So they're looking for these exceptional gifts, something like that. Yeah, optional equipment. Okay. However... Luke 9:52 through 55. Who else would be able to read that for us with a nice loud voice? Okay. Luke 9:52 through 55. And sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Okay, we, you don't know what manner of what? Spirit. spirit you are of. What would have happened had the disciples had that kind of power at that point? They wouldn't have used it correctly, would have they? They were, yes, abusing it. And oftentimes, when we have lots of power, we find it so much in ministry, we find it so much in just in our personal lives. We go into a place and, 
and uh, we want to do something and we can't do it. Uh, for, for an example, and I'm not saying that this is wrong, but oftentimes we have problems on the flights, right? We'll have problems on the flights. My husband has a, a line that he can call. What's that line? He's a priority, right? So he, he has huge status on more than one airline. So he's over a million miler on two different airlines. And so he calls the priority desk and he says, um, what can you do for me? Well, we, can do, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do, okay, do, is there a supervisor? What is he asking for? Somebody with more authority, right? And so oftentimes we are looking for that authority to be able to do things that is not in our power to do, right? This will become clear as we go through. So the Samaritan village was trying to give us a, a lesson before we get into this study that, that if we had the power, we might use it incorrectly. That's what they wanted to do. Is that correct? Okay. Is there a biblical model for receiving the optional equipment? And what is the biblical model? Is there a biblical model for receiving what? The optional equipment. Let's look at it. What is it? Pentecost. Pentecost. But it's something interesting that I find often. And that is that oftentimes we will do 10 days of praying and fasting and forgiving and getting close to each other. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. But there's something missing from that model. Something huge missing from that model. This could not have happened without what? The cross. We could not have had Pentecost without the cross first. Are you hearing me? The cross is where God's disciples, his followers, his, those that loved him and cared about him and that were wishing so much that they could be part of his kingdom coming, they found at the cross that that was not apparently going to be the case. The master that they loved and adored was hanging there, dying. Hanging there, dying. And they're thinking, why, why, you know, he, he's promising heaven to the thief next to him. Why doesn't he do something for himself? We know he can do it. Why doesn't he take care of himself? Why doesn't he come off the cross? Why doesn't he do what he's 
capable of doing. And they're dumbfounded that he's allowing them to nail those nails into his hands, into his feet. And being put up on a cross. Now, I can go through all the different things that happen, you know, in, in, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, process of, of the cross. We know that he had the shame of the cross, which meant what? Our sin, but more than that, well, I should say that. He, the humiliation of what? Being naked on the cross. That, to the God of the universe, was quite, quite challenging. Quite challenging. But not only did he have that humiliation, not only was he pained by the by the nails and 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 the taunts and all of the things that the people were saying to him, he was feeling completely overburdened by the sins that were being laid upon him. And as he's dying there, he's hearing his disciples, why, why, why aren't you doing something? He thinks of his mother. He says, John, take care of mom. He's taken care of his earthly possessions, but why not them? Why isn't he doing something for them? He was. He was doing the greatest thing. And you had a, a question or a comment? They expected something very different. And because they had these preconceived ideas of what he was going to give them, and then he's dying on a cross, they are shattered. How are they feeling? Shattered. Everything that they had expected was being taken away from them. Yes? Oftentimes, what we think our plan should be and what God's purpose for our life is completely different. Amen. Amen. So, so true. And so, he, um, he, the, 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 the disciples are, are, are shattered. They, they realize that this isn't going to happen. That, that the, the master is dying. Everything that they thought was going to happen is taken away from them. And they realize, I have nothing. Do you realize that you and I need to come to the cross? We need to come to the cross and we need to realize that we have nothing. We have nothing to give the Lord. We give our broken lives, our shattered dreams, our hopes and, and aspirations, we lay them at the cross because we have nothing. But there was something that needed to happen later, but at the cross, there had to be that what? That dying to what? 
character and preconceived ideas. Fifty days. Fifty days from the death of Christ to Pentecost. Why are the fifty days so important? At the cross, they lost everything. But there was something that happened. What was that that happened? There was the resurrection from the dead. And when there was a resurrection from the dead, what happened then? Hope. Hope. New ideas. Maybe, maybe new, new understanding. New concepts. New everything. There was hope now. And as they, they came forth from that resurrection day, and from then to the 40 days, what do you think that they were doing when they heard Christ speak this time? Can you think what the disciples were thinking when they realized that he was resurrected and that he was God in the flesh? Arguing has stopped. Yes. They had not come. But but they actually did that even before, before he left. But during this time, that, that was one of the first things that they said, right? But they also recognized as soon as they said that, that he had a different answer. You don't know when I'm coming back. You don't know. What's important is that you're faithful. He gave them a, a different perspective, a completely different perspective. And when they thought about the fact that they, it, this was God, the God that they were arguing with and, and talking, don't you think that they had a different ear to his voice now? They wanted to know exactly what he was saying. Everything that he was saying, because he had already warned them of this weekend, hadn't he? He had warned them about it. He had told them that he was going to die and that he was going to be resurrected in three days. But they didn't catch that. Now they're listening there's a difference in the way we listen, isn't there? There's a difference when we recognize that we've been completely wrong and we need to hear it right. And so they, they, were, they were listening over these 40 days. And over these 40 days, what happened at the end of the 40 days? He went back to heaven. And when he went back to heaven, what did he do? Passover, 40 days, ascension, promise of the what? Holy Spirit. And so he's promising them that when he's leaving, he said, look, I need to go. I need to go because I need to send the Holy Spirit in greater measure. Now, why couldn't the Holy Spirit be here anyway? Mm -hmm. 
Why couldn't the Holy Spirit's always been here, but not the same as not with the same power. So what what made the difference? Christ had won the battle. He he needed to go back to heaven. Okay. In his full person, not body. And he is arguing for us up there. He's doing his job up there, and the Holy Spirit is down here doing his job on us. And isn't that a wonderful way for the Godhead to work? They are working for our salvation. Always working for our salvation. And so uh, he says to them, listen, I want you to do what? I want you to... Uh, he didn't give him 10 days. He didn't tell him how long it was going to be, did he? Wait in Jerusalem. What did he say? Wait in what? Jerusalem. Now, the disciples, fortunately, had learned what it meant to wait. Abraham had a problem waiting, didn't he? They had learned from that. They had learned from that. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem. But when they were waiting in Jerusalem, what was he doing? What were they supposed to be doing? The disciples learned what it meant to wait. They were what? They were doing what? Confession of sin. You will find in James 5.16, what does that say? Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Amen. Okay, so we're to, to we're, we're to confess our faults one to another, but our sins to to God. Our faults to one another, our sins to God. This is very important. I've, I've been in a situations where, where, where I had a 10-day prayer and fasting and, and, and situation where I heard people confess their, their sins to each other. That's not the plan. What happens then when you, when you confess your sins to each other you're, you're, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be targeted. And it shouldn't be by the brethren, but oftentimes it is. You understand what I'm saying? So it's important for us to understand that our sins go to God the Father. Our faults between things that, are, that have aggravated me, things that I've been trying to, to uh, get above you in, or things that I've been jealous of you of, or things like that, I need to go to you and say, I am so sorry for thinking this way about you. Please forgive me. That is truly confessing our faults one to another. Okay? Very, very important. Does that answer your question? Yes. But 
faults are still sins, right? Faults are still sins, but the the sin part of it, we need to we need to make it right for God first. Then we can make it right with each other, right? Until you've made it right with God, you're probably not going to have the strength to make it right with each other. But it's the faults can be sin, yes. But do you understand the difference? For example, if I go into some place and I say, I have such a hard time keeping my hands off of the fellas. Okay, what does that make for me? A target. A target. She has a weakness in this. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, confess your sins to God and your faults to each other. Yes. I was going to ask you the difference. Um, if something happened in our in, in a situation, and um, one of our church, one of the church members attacked one of our younger kids verbally, and I had gotten very angry with him and upset with him, mm-hmm. and I've been very hatred. I actually had a hatred towards him. Mm-hmm. So, a while back, our pastor had a seminar on, on, on a thing on forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to him and asked for forgiveness for the hatred that I was feeling towards him. That is a sin, but that's actually a fault, right? It's both. It's both. Right. But the fault in going to him and asking his forgiveness for my hatred towards him, that's correct? That's correct. Okay. Because, be, because he, he felt that, didn't he? I'm sure he did. Yes. But if I have, if I have secret sins, I do not confess it in, in a group. Okay. Period. Okay. I just wanted to okay. give a scenario and see if I understood right. you correctly. Yes. You. Yes, ma'am. Um, in Luke and James, James 5, 6, he says, confess your trespasses to one another. And so when I think about the Lord's Prayer, you know, Right. But the Lord's Prayer is to the Lord. The trespasses, yes, I understand what you're saying. But but be careful on this, because your sins, your secret sins, go to who? God the Father. It's the things that we do against each other, where we trespass against each other, that we need to make that very very clear. Yes. Said and done to other people, or maybe uh, tried to derail them from something because we didn't like them so much, or I mean, there's there's so many things that we do. That's a relationship between. Right, 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 and it'll get clearer here. Okay, you cannot have reconciliation until you have what? Confession. Right? What else is happening? Prayer. They are praying earnestly that God will, God will uh, help them to, to uh, be united and that they will have the love amongst them that, that will give them power in the community. I saw a hand back here. Uh, I don't want to say they are. 
Of course it does. It, of course it does. But I guess it's not just an example of where it's just like a secret sin. I mean, maybe it's a To your spouse, you would say what? Well, I'm just saying, like, I got confused. I got a little bit confused because it sounded like there was a category of secret sins. But, mm -hmm. but in the truth, it's like, I mean, look, look if, if we are not truly Christian from the inside out, it, it affects everybody around us. So from that perspective, yes. But we have to real recognize that there are certain things that are to be told to God alone. Okay? Uh, if, if, we, if we, as I gave an example, if I, if I make it clear that I've got problems with a certain secret sin, it makes me vulnerable to others in there that probably have other things, things and it makes me vulnerable to them. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be strong enough to withstand that, but that's not, that's not a good way to have unity. It's not a good way to have unity. Yeah. If, it, if there's a group that's involved, there has to be accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely, there has to be accountability. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about secret sins that are just here. Yes? I think oftentimes we're getting confused about what is secret sin and what is honesty. Uh, we have to look at secret sin. God has a reason for telling us to go in for traffic and say things that he doesn't want others to know. Because others will use it to target us and say derogatory things about us. And so there are certain things that God wants you to come to him with. In the closet. In the closet, absolutely. And then your entire life story is all there. Yeah. But when you confess that to Christ, yes. 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 They needed to understand what the scriptures were saying. They, the, the scriptures have been unlocked to, to them since Christ rose. And it wasn't that they didn't have the scriptures before. They did, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. But the scriptures were unlocked to them, and they wanted to know what it was that the prophecies were. They were hearing the prophecies of Christ and all the things that took place, which was very important in Peter's sermon. Very important. 
So, took care of what? The church. Ah. How many of you have gone to constituency meetings you wish you'd never gone to? If, if we had the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, if we had that Holy Spirit working through our hearts to others, if we had that compassion on the sinners, it would not be so difficult. Are you hearing me? So God is saying to us, look, my church, my church is the apple of my eye. It means everything to him. He came to seek and to save that was lost, and but he also came to make the church prepared to, to uh, encourage these people to come back. Right? He says there'll be one, one, Fold, one shepherd, one fold, and one baptism. So, he's wanting us to, to pull together, and he loves his church. And we have to got to be people that love his church as well, if we're going to experience the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that can be a challenge. Sometimes it can be a challenge. But the truth of the matter is, if God loves it and he promises me his heart, I am going to love it too. Yes? So, very, very important. But there's something else that's happening. We've got all these things taking place, but there's one thing missing. What do you think is missing? What's missing? Love. Love? Very, very. Ah. Sharing. Sharing. Sharing is in, not in there. Look, witness it daily. Where do they witness? Every day in the church, in the temple. Look at Luke 24, 53. And I want somebody to read that with a nice, loud voice. Okay? Luke 24, 53. Okay, what were they doing? They were continually in the temple. Continually. From the opening of the temple doors, 9 o'clock in the morning, to the closing of the temple doors, 6 o'clock in the evening. They were continually in the temple. What? Praising God. I want you to look back in, in, in uh, Luke 24 and see what it was that they were praising God with. No? They're praising God with what? Their voices in what? Witnessing. They were witnessing what? Go back a few a few verses, and it says, "I have to get out my glasses." Actually, no. It says, um, "Okay, start starting uh, verse forty-four." And he said unto them, "These are the words which I." Spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, there, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be what? Preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are what? Witnesses of what? These things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with a power from on high. So what is, he saying? What, what, what is it that they are witnessing to? They're witnessing to the power of Christ. They're witnessing to who he was, that he is the Son of God. They're witnessing, they, 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 are, they are letting people know that this is the, the people that we, this is the, the man that we have waited for. This is the Messiah. We, we've killed the Messiah. Now, they had preconceived ideas before they came to the cross. Is that correct? Now what are they dealing with? Other people, preconceived ideas, and the other people, right? So why do you think that they're taking time to pray every night when they come back from this? Every night before they, after they, they left the, the temple, and before they went to the temple, they're praying and earnestly asking God, please, Father God, help us to reach through the preconceived ideas of all the Jews and the people that are, that are worshiping in, the, in this temple. Please help us to, to make inroads. You see? But that's not it. Watch. Acts 2, 1 and 2. And when the day of Pentecost was what? Fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all of what? One accord and in what? One place. What does that mean? They were together. One mind, one heart, one, one reason for being there. One purpose. Everything was joined together. What is that called in terms of this presentation today? Isn't that the basic equipment? <coughs> Isn't it? That's the basic equipment. It was when God the Father saw and Jesus Christ saw that they were of one accord and in one place, that their hearts were knit, tied together, that they were praying earnestly for the souls around them, that they were doing everything that they could to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, the, and the Messiah, that they were doing everything, their hearts were right with God. When they were right with God, God did something marvelous. And what did he do? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now that's strange. In my mind, I always saw the, the upper room, them on, the, on their knees, kneeling, praying, and the cloven tongues coming and sitting on their heads. That's what I always remembered from the time I was tiny, tiny, tiny. I remember that. That's the picture that's in my mind when I, when I see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
but it says where they were sitting. Yeah, I, they 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 sat leaning up to the tables, and they were sitting. Why is that important? I'm sorry. Waiting. Waiting. It's a stark contrast in how people receive the Holy Spirit today. But the fact is that God was not looking for something that looked like they were being Christians. He was not looking for an outward appearance. He was looking at the heart. And because he's looking at the heart, and he sees his character in those hearts, he sees that it's drawing those disciples together. He's seeing that it's, it's making them one in purpose, in, in heart, in everything. He's saying, okay, I can trust them with the Holy Spirit. If the basic equipment was not there, we would not have gotten the Holy Spirit. Pentecost would not have happened. It had to happen because at the cross, they got rid of their, their own ideas. At resurrection, they were filled with a new purpose. And through the 40 days, they were filled with understanding more and more and more. The ascension tells us that Christ is going up to heaven. And now he is sending them the Holy Spirit. Ten days. But not ten days. It's how many days? It's 50 days. It starts where? It starts at the cross. It starts at the cross. Pentecost is the day that the Jews traditionally celebrated the giving of the law at Sinai. Do you think that there's any connection with the law at Sinai and Pentecost? What would that connection be? We, I'm sorry? Oh, the Holy Spirit has what keeps, helps us keep the law. We could not have the basic equipment except we keep the law of God. So that basic equipment is absolutely necessary for us to be able to be trusted, trusted with the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I pray to God that God will help each one of us to be praying always for the basic equipment, but also for the outpouring, because we want both the basic and we want the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, grant us a complete understanding of what is necessary in our hearts and our lives in order to be able to to come to the place that you can trust us with your Holy Spirit. God, give us your Spirit. We ask for it. We plead for it. And God, take away our hearts of stone. Forgive us of our sins. And may we be steadfast in your love with our prayer. 
in Jesus' precious name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.